Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Situation Room. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. Um, you guys can find us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, but, you know, Gabe, this was... I- I've been complaining that, the, the, that it hasn't been interesting <laughs> and that it's been frustrating. And, um, you know, the Ravens finally listened to me. They must be tuning in and they must be tired of us starting this podcast the same way every week. And that is not what we got this week. It was exciting. It was fun. It was terrible. It was disappointing. And then it was joyous. All rolled in one. Yeah, this game definitely um, hit the whole gamut of emotions. Everywhere from like, you know, this is the offense that we expected to see all year long. You know, this is the Ravens finally figured it out. This is great. To like, why is everything going wrong? Why can't they stop anyone on defense? Like, are they, there's no way they can actually come back and win this game at this point. Like, like it, it literally went like all the way up high, all the way down low, then all the way back up high again. And it was, it was such an entertaining game. Um, I think, I, I mean, I think we should be feel privileged to be able to uh, watch such a fun game and, and have our team involved in it. I think, um, you know, it's, it's one of the more exciting games I think the Ravens have played dating back to the mile high miracle game. Like honestly, the kind of same ups and downs, like swings, big swings back and forth. It, it really reminded me of that. I mean, the, it, it was, it was very much that exact same game, you know, obviously not the exact same game, but um, I think it falls into that category. The trend in holiday, like touchdown returns kind of like in that heartbreaking mode. Oh my gosh, they're going to lose to the interception and then and then obviously joe i mean it followed a similar path when lamar left the field and even ended with a very clutch justin tucker field goal that's right that's right so the real big question though before we really jump into this is was lamar pooping (laughs) um i'm going to go with a no i don't think he actually was pooping i think he was getting his um his cramping taken care of and i think that's actual body cramping muscle muscle cramping and he needed to get some fluids yeah you know i want to believe um but i'm skeptical you know why 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 not get ivs out on the sideline why not you know have some idea when it's going to be when he's going to be ready why it wasn't Trace McSorley warming up in the first place. And everyone's pointing to that bandage on his left arm. And they're like, that's where the IV was. But I don't know if you watched the whole game, but that bandage was there the whole game. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. that. That bandage was there the whole game, I'm pretty sure. So um, you're, you're myth-busting the myth-buster? Is that what you're I, doing? I think <laughs> either it was there all game or a different white bandage was on his left arm. Because I assume, look, I, I mean – Here's the bottom bottom line is that Lamar was, and they talked about this on the broadcast, symptomatic from COVID and very sick and now has played two games in the last six days. Um, I'm not surprised that he either couldn't keep his food down or he was cramping, whichever one it may be. I'm not saying I know, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, Lamar, that was a feat of strength for him to kind of do those things and then come back. It's just, you know, I'm surprised 
he came out. They're saying he came out of the locker room after he saw McSorley get hurt. I, I'm surprised that that didn't happen at the start of that drive. <laughs> yeah, I think he was he was like on his way out at that point. Um, and because of the way the two minute warning happened to coincide right there, he was able to jump in and, and you know get in the field and and have that miraculous play. I was you know, I was so nervous at that point. I, I didn't think there was a chance in hell that that play was going to be converted. I thought he was going to be cold. You know, he was like coming off the bench. Like he'd been out of the game for about 15 minutes at that point, maybe even longer. And I was like, there is no way this is going to work. Like we were texting back and forth. Are they going to try and kick a 65-yard field goal? Apparently Tucker was lobbying to be able to give him that opportunity. But, you know, they went with Lamar and that – was that the play of the game? I don't know. There were so many plays that mattered in this game. It's, it's hard to really – go through and find all the ones that matter but that was obviously one that you know that tilted the game back in the favor of the ravens and it ended up being probably the game that the play that mattered the most i think it was i'm getting goosebumps now thinking back to the play and just like the whole thing as it happened lamar running back onto the field not knowing what that was knowing mcsorley was hurt so it's like is he only coming out because they don't have anybody else that could take the snap like, is it a decoy play? Like, what's going to happen? And then, boom, touchdown to Marquise Brown, who is not did not have a great game even, even kind of to begin with on top of that. Um, the other crazy part, we can just talk about this play for a second in particular. Um, I've talked all season long about how the Ravens have been victim of these crossing routes and defenders have run into each other because of that. Um, if you watch the left side of this play, two Browns defenders run square into each other, knock each other over, and Willie Sneed is wide open on the left hash for a touchdown because they ran into each other and knocked each other over. So even if he doesn't get flushed to the right, Lamar's probably throwing a touchdown pass to the left there, and Boykin and Sneed run a textbook crossing pattern there where the two of them stay tight to each other, they mesh like they're supposed to mesh, and that angle really created problems for those Cleveland defenders. So, I'm giving Greg Roman a lot of a, a lot of a, a lot of crap all season, and I thought he called a phenomenal game. I thought the Ravens' pass concepts in this game were much improved. I think the Ravens' run concepts have been much improved over the last couple of weeks too. Um, so maybe maybe Greg Roman has forged himself that new identity that he said that needed to happen. Yeah, I think honestly, it's as simple as they've finally identified what works and they're just sticking to it. And honestly, it's kind of what they did a lot last year too. It wasn't that they had a much more fancy offense or much wilder game plan last year. They just figured out what they were doing well, what they was what was working with the personnel that they had. They kind of worked it around this three tight ends because that was you know the personnel that they had on offense that was their most consistent playmakers, and they. They just ran it down people's throats, and then they used a lot of play action and a lot of, you know, um, kind of RPOs that were built into that, and teams couldn't stop it. And they they tried to get, I think, too cute in what they were trying to do off of that. And this year, they tried to do a lot of the same things, but they didn't have the same personnel. And it took them, you know, basically three quarters of the season to figure out, we're just going to have to do all of these, like, you know, guard tackle counter plays, these, these pulls, whatever you want to call them. But that's kind of the bread and butter of their, of their offense now is, is this run game. And then they have, you know, there's still take some play action shots and they're, they're using Lamar Jackson and letting him just be Lamar Jackson. And they're not trying to do too many crazy, cute, creative things and just letting him go out there and play. Yeah. You know, I will slightly differ from you in opinion on that. I think that the Ravens have significantly changed their approach. Um, 
I think the first time we really saw that double pull counter kind of reverse read action from Lamar was the first Steelers game. Um, I think they ran it on a fourth down. That's the first time I really remember it happening. Um, they might have ran it once in the Cincinnati game. And they do it. They would do it once or twice a game, and then they would stop. Um, you know, we saw the Ravens be really effective in the option. What in the in the Cincinnati game, and then we never saw it again. Um, the Steelers game. The Steelers game. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and we never saw it be effective again. And so, I agree in the sense that, yeah, like every good NFL team is going to take the plays that work and ram them down your throat. And and Cleveland is doing that right now with the naked boots from Baker Mayfield. Right. Like they're going to run. 10 to 12 of those every single game, they're going to make you defend it and they're going to work off of that, right? That that doesn't take any skill. The skill that it takes as an offensive coordinator, in my opinion, is that when the thing that was working or you expected to work doesn't, how do you adjust to it and how do you change it? And so I think the Ravens should run kind of this like counter bash, inverted veer. I don't know what you want to call it. They should be running it 15 times a game because you can take it to the outside with a running back. You can run it to Lamar on the outside of the opposite side of that, or you can run it with Lamar or the running back up the middle. So essentially you're getting finally a stretch defense with kind of the four reads. And, and, and that's what the Ravens got out of their running game last year. They just did it from different formations and teams were much more respective of the backside stuff. Um, this year, I think the, what was happening is you were seeing defenses kind of cram the middle and then spread. And so they were taking away whatever you had on both edges and there was nothing going up the middle. And so now we finally got this, this reverse action where, with the counter where it allows Lamar to go up the middle or to the outside. And we saw him do it both ways in this game and be really effective. And I think one of the things on the option as well, I think, I think the Ravens have done a good job of studying the film and really kind of took, coached up Lamar and the, and the running backs as to when, when, it, when they should be can't giving the ball and when they shouldn't. I think I think they've maybe gotten better reading the defenders because I think earlier in the season there was a lot of instances where I was like they made the wrong read, they made the wrong read, and a lot of the times that was uh, you know leading to very short gains, sometimes negative yard gains, um, but they just like weren't reading that that defender on the edge very well. And I feel like they've gone from more of like a zone read concept maybe now they've integrated more of that counter kind of action into it with it with a pulling guard and and they've kind of erased the the read to some extent um and and i think they're doing a different way of, of reading now and it's working better um and i think what that means for the ravens is you have lamar jackson being more integrated into the run game i think he was he was not being as I think he was, being, he was more hesitant to keep it, I think, for whatever reason earlier on in the season. And now he's he's keeping it more effectively and it's it's really making him more of a weapon. And he's also being more of a weapon in, in his scrambles too. That's something we should talk about. I'm getting excited again. I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm as, probably as close to as excited as I was at the start of the season um, at any point this year, um, except maybe after the Cleveland beatdown in week one. But um, it seems like the offense is got some options to be locked back in a little bit. So, you know, I, I think the approach that we want to take this week and maybe moving a little bit forward as we kind of try and weave in some of these plays is to talk about what was working and what wasn't working on both sides of the ball um, and kind of guide us situationally through what we saw on both sides of that. And so, you know, let's start on the defense. And so, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that there wasn't a whole lot working for the Ravens defense this, this week. Um, you know, they got, they got, a bit lucky on the missed field goal. They got a bit lucky on the missed extra point. Um, both of those turned out to be 
influential in terms of the total net of the game. Thank, thank the Lord for Justin Tucker. Um, but uh, I thought Marlon Humphrey played a really phenomenal game. And I thought individually, um, Yannick Ngakwe played a really good game. Um, I think there were some other guys that you know you want to talk about too that played well. But individually on any given play, it seemed like the defense was suffering from the Ravens' 2020 inconsistent bout of inconsistencies, um, which, which always seemed to crop up. But um, there were a few guys that played, I thought, pretty well on defense. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Humphrey. Um, you mentioned... You mentioned Ngakwe, who I, who I also agree. Honestly, like he's been the Ravens' most consistent pass rusher since they've gotten him, even though he might not be putting up the stats. And I know he's gotten some criticism because of that, but he's the only person who consistently puts pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And even if he isn't getting the sacks, he is definitely making the quarterback uncomfortable. And I think that does have an impact on the game. I know it's not quite the same as the negative plays you'd, you'd like to see, but it's definitely um, it's definitely really helping out the Ravens defense up front. Um, opposite him, Pranam Kafi, I thought had a had a really good game. You know, the first play of the game, I think was the first play of the game. I think it was. He came in and rocket and rocked uh, Baker Mayfield on. He just like made the tackle whiff, and he had a clean shot. And you know, Mayfield got the ball out, but it was an incomplete pass. Um, I feel I feel like especially in the first half, they were hitting him a lot. You know, the Ravens front was getting after him, um, and it kind of flustered him a little bit early on, but on the other side of things, the I thought the Browns did a good job of kind of scheming up to kind of get some easy yards against this Ravens defense. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard to scheme when you play off coverage all game long, which is what the Ravens, not all game long. So I thought the Ravens in the second quarter defensively were very good. Um, and that was when they were kind of mixing it up in terms of being more aggressive, like playing tight coverage some of the time, other times, not and so the Browns just decided in the second half that they were going to stop some of the boot counter stuff. Um, and they were going to they even went kind of empty backfield, I want to say at least four or five times in the second half. Um, and it was just get the ball out quick. ID the guy that you want to give it to, spread them out and get the ball out quick. And I mean, that that that's the book, unfortunately, on the Ravens defense and has been for years. That That's what Peyton Manning and Tom Brady would do to the Ravens. You know, you go back and look at some of their games and they would have 12 or less rushes. You know, I bet I bet if you looked at the last 15 games between Manning and Brady that they played against the Ravens defenses, they averaged less than 15 carries a game. Um, and so I think we, we're seeing some of that. You, you see some of that same stuff. And at some point, you got to be willing to commit and, and say, OK, we're going to go man to man across the board here. And, you know, your best guy or in, in this case, we're going to try and make sure our your best guy isn't matched up on our, our best guy. And your mediocre guy is going to have to beat our me- mediocre guy. You're going to have to make a big play to beat us. And you don't have to do that every time. But, you know, even the cream hunt touchdown, which. You know, you can argue he shouldn't have tried to go in on that one. Um, you know, Marlon Humphrey never had a chance to stop Hunt on that play. Like, Hunt caught the ball a yard up the line of scrimmage. Humphrey is playing nine yards back. And even if he had a better angle to him, there is no chance Marlon Humphrey is taking Kareem Hunt down there. Um, and so I just don't like the Ravens setting it up that way, um, you know, and being a little bit less aggressive. And, I, you know, hopefully it's a health thing. I thought the Ravens were also better in the second quarter because Jimmy Smith was still there. Um, they obviously missed Anthony Averitt. Um, I think they can get more aggressive down the stretch here. Yeah, I, I think that needs to be the Ravens' MO on defense. They need to just commit to it. They need to go um, heavy press man and, you know, 
keep maybe play a single high safety. You know, we were talking a little bit as well about how the Ravens miss a guy like Earl Thomas. They they frankly miss that you know single high safety that they can you know make quarterbacks respect in, in the back end and have someone who has the range to influence you know plays to the the outer hash. Um, is is it going to make it difficult for quarterbacks to throw over the middle of the field? And you know. I think the Ravens have two solid safeties and and Elliott and Clark, but they don't have someone who is really putting any fear in the heart of a opposing quarterback. They don't have a ball hawk back there. Who's going to make you think twice about throwing to, you know, a, a contested route over the middle. They just don't have that, that person who's able to, you know, really, you know, threaten some of those routes. And I think that's to the Ravens detriment. And it also affects, you know, some of the play calling that they can do. Um, and I, I do think the personnel is an issue too. I mean, we saw Anthony Levine playing snaps as a slot cornerback in this game because they didn't have the depth at cornerback after Jimmy Smith went out and Devontae Harris went out. So that was an issue um, later in the game. I think, you know, they basically had two healthy corners and two healthy safeties and then Levine. Um, it, it was not what you want to see. Um, I think Jordan Richards was also playing safety out there, which is, you know, that's, that's a real issue. Um, I think the Ravens don't have enough depth at either cornerback or safety at this point um especially with jimmy smith being you know in and out of the lineup he's someone that they really need i think he makes an actual tangible difference on what the the ravens do both from play calling and from performance and when he left the game it it really was apparent that he was missed yeah um definitely need to activate all their quarterback cornerbacks and it's a question of if mark ingram's only going to take one snap or two or three, then, you know, you got to inactivate him. And I hate to say that because I love the guy. And I, I was, I mean, he was so good last year and maybe he's better this year than, than we're seeing now. So give him that, give him that chance. And if he's not, then you gotta, you gotta send him down until somebody or sit him down until someone else gets hurt. Cause justice Hill is playing fantastic on special teams right now, or you sit down justice Hill. And cause I don't think he's needed on these, you know, they're using him on some of these third down plays and, and these spread plays and whatever. And I, I think they're fine without that. Um, but I don't think you can carry four corner, four running backs. If you're going to be short cornerbacks for sure. Um, and, you know, we're already talking about being short cornerbacks, but like, and I don't think you can do this at this point in the season, but, I think Marcus Peters has played pretty poorly over the balance of the last eight weeks. And I don't think it would hurt to give him a look in some of those safety moments and let him like, like give him kind of like that Minka Fitzpatrick treatment, right. And let him be the extra cornerback. We actually saw him, I saw him take a couple snaps in the slot this week, like let him be that guy. And then let him be the last guy instead of the first guy. And maybe the Ravens don't want as much of a gambler back there doing those kind of things. But you know, I, I don't think Elliott or Clark, it's not just that they can't play the cover one center field like with range or with threats. I think it's also like I don't even know that they trust them to be the deep cover man of just like a man to man press with a guy over the top because the Ravens just that's what they need to do. Right. Like in those instances, it's like you've got Judon McPhee, Campbell and, and Gawkaway as your front four. Right. Play play a man press cover two shell and let your four best pass rushers go get after the passer, right? Take away the short stuff, have good guys that are over the top, and it just seems like the Ravens don't trust it right now. So maybe it's the, the Ravens think they can do it, um, and they haven't yet, and they will. Um, but I think that they need to make some adjustments and play some more press with safeties over the top where those guys 
Like that's what that's what Marcus Peters needs, and that's why I think that he hasn't excelled this year because he, they're leaving him on an island a lot more, even when he is pressing, and that just takes away his ability to do all that. And he is biting on some of these moves, but he doesn't have the help over the top, and that's when you see him getting beaten. So um, we've evolved here to what's not working on defense pretty rapidly, but but that was going to happen in this game. You know, there was a lot that wasn't working across the board here, though. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, when you let up 42 points, there's there's not many positives you can take away. I, I think um, the Ravens' run defense was hit or miss in this game. I feel like they had moments where it was it was pretty good. Um, but then, for, for whatever reason, when they when they got in close in the red zone, they just were not able to... to I think that might have been a, a personnel thing, and and the Browns did a good job of, of spreading them out a little bit and you know doing some of these kind of these zone these wide zones but then they would just have the running back cut back um that happened a couple times and they were able to find holes and the ravens just didn't have that backside defender or that somebody from the the safety position who was able to come in and fill and and make a play there um that's that's the browns bread and butter you know it's it's what they're going to do they have a really strong run game they have a really good offensive line and they have two really good running backs and you know obviously you want to be able to shut that down. Um, and I think in the playoffs, if they were to run into a team like the Browns or maybe the Titans again, I think they're going to have to fix some things on, in their run defense because they, you know, they've invested a lot into their defensive front and frankly, they need to get some better results um, in order to really, to, to have the ability to shut down some of those teams. And I think that if they can't do it consistently, it's, it's going to be an issue moving forward because they, they're going to run into teams like either the Browns or the Titans, I think most likely. And one of those guys is probably going to kind of rip them apart if, if they can't figure out how to, how to slow them down, especially late in games. Yeah. I think, you know, if it's the Browns without Odell Beckham, um, it's more containable. And I think that probably my biggest frustration with the Ravens is that one, some of those runs were, were happening in the red zone. So just overcommit to the line there, right? Like, it's like, I'm just, we're just not going to let Nick Chubb beat us, right? Like he might be their best offensive skill player with the second best being Kareem Hunt. And so if that's the case, I'm going to make Donovan Peoples-Jones beat Marlon Humphrey in man-to-man coverage in the red zone. And if they're not going to spread, like some of those plays were jumbo plays, right? You were talking about one or like two tight ends on the field, like only one or two wide receivers. You've got the two, you, you've got the guys to beat those guys in, in man coverage and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey, let them do it and put everybody else in the box. And even if you want to keep your edge guy to protect against the bootleg back from Baker, fine, but commit everybody else and stop the run because you got to stop the run in those instances. And, and so, um, you know, it's I, I, some of it is personnel. I think some of it is is COVID health, um, I, uh, COVID or non-COVID health, right? Matt Judon didn't have a great game. That roughing the passer call might have mm-hmm. been the worst call I have ever seen. Um, the worst call I've ever seen. Um, it wasn't even prompted by the quarterback. It was it was so not like so not roughing the passer. But that being said, it was still a penalty, so it doesn't really matter because they had a, the the other penalty on the play, but. Brandon Williams recovering from an ankle injury, Calais Campbell recovering recovering from a calf injury, Matt Judon recovering from COVID. Marlon Humphrey had COVID earlier this year. All these guys just need to get healthy. And and you you add into that mix the fact that you just don't have an elite middle linebacker right now. Like I, I think if CJ Mosley was still on this team, um, it'd be a lot tighter and you you could make up some of those gaps. But Patrick Queen overplays gaps all the time, 
all the time. Even I think it was on one of the big Chubb runs, like him and Fort switch positions. So he moves to the strong side, pushes Fort to the weak side, and then Queen still plays the weak side gap. Um, and so I, it just those kind of plays <laughs> absolutely baffle me, <laughs> absolutely baffle me about Patrick Queen and like where his head is in those those places. And he needs to clean that up. But the short the short of it is middle linebacker is not the solution and the Ravens need to minimize what they're asking those guys to do and find a way to maximize everybody else. And, and the Ravens defense, I think historically the way it's built is built more around the middle linebacker out as opposed to everything out in. And I think that's where we see some of these struggles. Yeah, I, I agree with, with queen. I mean, I, I, I feel like he's gotten a little better as the season's progressed. I don't think he's made some of the glaring mistakes that he had earlier on the season, especially in coverage. And maybe it's because they're not asking him to do as much. Um, but you're right. Like he still is making those rookie mistakes. And this is what week 14 now, like you need to, you need to not be making those same mistakes every single week. Like he just doesn't seem to understand uh, what his assignment is on some basic, um, you know, run fits. And that, and that's an issue especially when he's the person who's going to be on the field, like 90% of the snaps, like he's, he's basically not coming off the field at all anymore um, because the Ravens don't play much dime. Hmm? And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. This is not e- like playing middle linebacker in the NFL is not easy. And playing middle linebacker in the NFL when the other teams are targeting you as the weakest link, is not easy. So, you know, part of his struggles are the fact that teams are coming after him now and they're trying to make him look silly. So he's going to extra look silly because NFL offensive coordinators and offensive players are also really smart. Um, Chris Board has looked no better at the part um, replacing him. And and it's obvious why the Ravens, you know, kind of went away from him. Um, you know, Malik Harrison didn't, you know, I saw him a couple of times last night, but, you know, I'd be interested to see what his snap count number was. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it just seems like the Ravens aren't willing to give him a shot at that either. So, you know, again, I think that it's just that the Ravens defense long term has been built on these concepts of a really strong inside linebacker that gets can make the right reads in those fits and plays them well. Um, and right now that's not Patrick Queen. And so I think he, like Patrick Queen has actually been very good at times this year. And when he does re- make the right gap reads, he's very good. So if he can fix that part of his game, you know, th- this is, it's not baked in and he might be one of the top five best defensive rookies this year so far, despite the fact that he's been the punching bag or the target of a lot of offensive coordinators at the same time. I mean, you could definitely see the potential with him. You see the flashes of playmaking ability, you know, his ability to kind of, I mean, last week it was the interception, right? Like that was a really impressive play. I thought um, he was able to, you know, very quickly adjust to the ball and make a very impressive athletic play. And, you know, that's the kind of thing you want from, you know, your rookie first, first round draft pick, because if you're not getting those kind of plays, then, you know, you're not, what are you, what are you getting? Like, that's a play that he was in position to make the play. It was not something that every player can make. So that's why I'm giving him credit for it. But, you know, you saw those, uh, that ability in him and he was able to come up in that instance. So that's the kind of thing that you want to see obviously more frequently, but you just want to avoid the big negatives too. And and that's where he needs to, you know, make those advances to kind of get rid of those, those bad plays, get, with experience, I think that's going to come. He's going to be able to, you know, study the film and figure out why he's, you know, in the wrong position or, or what what is he seeing that is is not 
leading him to be where he should be um, hitting the gap or taking on the blocker or I think those things, you know, come with experience, but I just hope that he's able to, you know, really kind of make a few strides here at the end of the season, because I think, like you said, the Ravens are going to need him. He's a player that they're going to need to have playing at his best for them to really, you know, be at the level that they need the defense to be at as, as the season ends. Yeah, I also think it's one of those things where the, you know, Matt Judon, and I don't know how many snaps he played either, didn't have a great game this game, but I thought he was playing pretty well before COVID and kind of that whole thing went down. So I think there's an opportunity where he and Ngakwe really work well together as a tandem with Calais Campbell if he also gets healthy. Right now with Campbell being hobbled a little bit, with Marcus Peters just in kind of a slump and them seeming not to be able to kind of untap him at his best the only real playmaker it feels like that's on the field for the Ravens right now is Marlon Humphrey um and so you know and and Gok- sorry and Gakawe and Marlon Humphrey are the only two guys they need help and if the Ravens can get better in the secondary in terms of whatever their approach is to unlock that or get better at having two or three guys simultaneously be able to rush the passer I think we'll start to see a and Gakawe's numbers go up or B, improvement kind of at the secondary level. I think some of it is that just like, like the Ravens do need to, they need to sometimes simplify. I I feel like they need to go in both directions. They need to at times simplify what they're trying to do and just let their players be their players. And then at times be so freaking confusing that the other team doesn't know what's coming. But they seem to be in this kind of like middle ground of all that where they are trying to be simulating pressure and simulating what they're going to show, but they don't ever really show it. And so it, it's a lot easier to take advantage of. And I think they need to be either more simple or, or or both simultaneously more simple and more complex. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we've mentioned a couple of weeks now is that they aren't blitzing as heavily as they were. And it's to the detriment. I think I think if they, you know, actually turned up the blitz a little bit more and was able to get after the pres- the quarterbacks and make them uncomfortable and make them f- even if you don't do it every single time, have that threat of that player coming, that is what makes Wink Martindale's defense so good because even when you don't actually bring the pressure, that threat of it is still something that is getting into quarterbacks' heads. And that's when the simulated pressure works even better because then they're, they know that sometimes, or even on a regular basis, you are going to have that extra guy coming. So when it doesn't come, you're like still flustered. So then you have the ability to drop players into coverage while still getting that, that ability to pressure the quarterback. So that is something that I would definitely like to see down the stretch. And, you know, they're going to have the opportunity to go against some <laughs> lesser tier quarterbacks as, as we finish the season. And, I'm curious to see what they do. We've seen games uh, where, you know, Wink has kind of thrown the whole, you know, kitchen sink at some of these younger quarterbacks. And I think we might see that next week. It's, it's Gardner Minshew. I think um, he's going to come back and then it's going to be Daniel Jones. Who's kind of, it's been a disaster in a lot of ways um, as a passer and he's a turnover machine. And then you have Brandon Allen. Is that the guy who's a backup in Cincinnati? So this is not, this is going to be a pretty, um, good lineup in terms of who the Ravens are going to face down the stretch in terms of the quarterbacks. And I think we might see a defense that really starts clicking because, or it looks like it starts clicking because they're going to be facing these, these lesser quarterbacks. So I think in, in this game, getting, getting back to the Browns and getting back to the pressures, um, 
I actually thought that the the Ravens pressured Baker Mayfield pretty well, but they weren't able to bring him down. Um, and Mayfield, to his credit, was able to evade the pressure a number of times um, and make plays on the move, um, whether that's, you know, scrambling, pick up a few yards or, you know, finding open receivers. And, you know, he showed off an impressive arm, I thought. You know, he was pretty accurate. Um, he had a few plays that he, he was flustered and made bad throws. But for the most part, I thought he played um, a really good game for the Browns. And he's really improved, I think, as he settled into this new um, system with with uh, Stefanski. And I think he's someone who, you know, we're going to have a lot of kind of big chess matches back and forth with, with uh, Stefanski and Mayfield coming up in the next few seasons. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely I, I agree with that assessment across the board. And, you know, the other thing I'd say the Ravens didn't do well in this game was they just and this is I think this ties into this concept of what they're trying to do strategically is that they cannot get off the field sometimes. And some of that is having to defend four downs and teams just being more aggressive against them because they know the Ravens offense is capable of doing more. So and the league in general is going more for it on fourth downs and creating more of that pressure on defenses. Um the Ravens have to figure out sometimes how to get off the field. I mean, I feel like there were at least four fourth down conversions in this game that got converted. It it was three or four. Um, it might have been more. Um, and they, you got to get off of the fields in those spots. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about a couple of those real quick. So the first one I think was the first half, um, mm-hmm. and this was the one where Jimmy Smith got flagged for a PI that was, I would say, ticky tack. I mean, he did touch, he kind of hooked the guy a little bit, but it. it he had a clear path to the ball even without that play. And I don't think it affected the play at all. I think that was a bad call. I think the Ravens should have gone off the field there. Um, you know, it was one of those instances where, you know, they ended up not getting burnt by it because the, the field goal quicker missed. Um, so that one wasn't one that really affected them. But then in the second half, they had two really key fourth down conversions. One was a play where I thought it was just a really bad defensive play call where the, the, the ball went to Landry when he did. He was lined out, lined up out wide against Marcus Peters. Peters was showing tight man coverage, and then they dropped off into a zone. And Landry was wide open underneath. Nobody was buzzing under that. That's. Uh, it would have made sense if they had dropped like a cover, like a, the linebacker to the outside linebacker into that like little shallow zone to take away that slant. But they didn't do that. They just let Landry wide open underneath on, on a slant route, and it was an easy fourth down conversion because it was either somebody either busted a coverage there or it was just a really awful play call. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but that was kind of, there's just a bad play all around. And then the other one was the the touchdown. Um, this was the play where, where Peters actually fell down. Um, I'm not sure if he got his feet tangled up. Um, you might've had a better look at that one, but that one, you know, it was, it was basically j- just, you know, Elliot being, having to try and come over late and make a play because, because the wide receiver just um, was wide open because Peter slipped and fell. And I think he might've hurt himself on that play. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any other takes on those plays? Yeah, no, I think those reads on those plays are probably right. And the one where they convert to Landry is probably the one that bothered me most of though, most of all there. But um, you know, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about Marcus Peters. Like he's a guy that plays, he's going to play a lot better if he has a safety over the top of him, at least some of the time. And the Ravens don't seem willing to do that ever this year. Um, you know, and especially at that point in the game, once Jimmy Smith is out, you know, cover two probably is a lot more acceptable because you've got two guys on both sides that were, you know, there were, there were moments where, um, 
you know, where Harris was just basically like, like the, the same kind of look where he starts in press and then just turns around and runs backwards immediately, like, like turns his hips at the snap and runs backwards. Right. And so the Ravens must've decided that was the thing that they were going to do from a coaching perspective before this game. Um, and I think that's part of, part of why we saw those things happen. So, and the fourth downs are the ones that stick out, but it's also the third down conversions and the other, it's just, it seems like the Ravens give up a lot of first down conversions this year. Like, like there are all kinds of drives. I, I feel like there's been a drive and this is, this is totally probably not right, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like there's been a 10 play drive against the Ravens every single game this year. Um, and there certainly have been games where like three or four drives, it seems like have been 10 plus plays and the teams just control them completely and just work their way all the way down the field. Now, sometimes those 10 plays only go 30 yards, but in terms of kind of aggression and I, I want my team getting off the field more. I want to expose what I'm trying to do schematically less. I want to have more effectiveness in terms of kind of getting them off the field. And I don't want this kind of Dean P's bend don't break thing constantly happening. Um, and, and I feel like we're just getting a lot of that this year. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and even, so I, th- I feel like this weird season has had a lot of strange circumstances to it. And I don't want to talk and they chalk up these things just having a weird COVID season and making excuses because of that. But I think in a lot of ways, you know, that the Ravens have been depleted on a personnel standpoint. So I think that's impacted some of the play calling um, because I think the play calling has kind of changed as the season has progressed and that's kind of coincided with the Ravens losing a number of players on defense. Um, so I, I think they've played more conservatively because they don't have the same um, arsenal of players. Let me put it that way. Um, available to them. And then the other thing I think that's happened is the Ravens haven't been playing with the same kind of leads that they were used to playing with. And early in the season, they had, you know, a lot, these two score, two plus course leads where they were able to be a little bit more aggressive on defense. And I think, you know, they've had that at times, but for the most part, they, they haven't had those, those wide margins. Um, they've been in a lot more close games. And even when they've gotten up a little bit, they feel like they've kind of just not had that killer instinct on defense that, that they showed at times. And I think that one of the things that we, we loved about Wing Martindale was that he wanted to just kind of go for the jugular when, when teams got down and he wanted to like, you know, force the issue and, and make you, you know, get after or make you make a mistake. And if you get, if you manage to like, you know, get an explosive play, so be it. But it was more of the, you know, we're going to come after you and you're going to have to, you know, do something fantastic or else you're just going to be in like fourth and, you know, long. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons why the defense hasn't been as dominant as what I had expected. And I think we had expected it in general. Um, but I think for the most part, it's because they haven't had the big leads that they've they've wanted to, you know, maintain and we're able to kind of maintain earlier on the season and much of last year. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just think they can be that aggressive earlier in the game. There there were moments in this game against Cleveland where they needed to be that aggressive. Um, and I think it would have put an end to this game much sooner. Like that moment where it felt like, like right after the Ravens scored the touchdown off the Bowser interception, Tyus Bowser's turned into a really good player. Um, they needed to go for the jugular there. That they could have put the game away on a three and out in that instance, and they could have like like Cleveland was completely completely demoralized at that mo- at that moment. That like there was no energy in the stadium anymore. That's the moment when like 
I think there needs to be recognition that like, that's a moment. Well, first of all, that's a two-score lead. So get aggressive in that moment, just like you were talking about. Um, and they didn't do that. But also, like that's a moment where you can just seize the game and basically end it. That if they, they would have put a three and out and another touchdown on the board, I think the game would have been over at that point. So uh, they need to pick their spots for it. And I'm not saying do it all the time, but even if they did do it all the time, it wouldn't bother me. Yeah, and that drive was the one where they converted that fourth and four. And I think that was a play where if it had gone the other way, you know, I was just going back and, and rewatching it. And and the Ravens, so they did one of the things that you love. They they dropped the the outside linebacker into coverage. This time it was Tyus Bowser. But he and Deshaun Elliott were literally standing on top of each other, occupying like no man's land in the middle, while Landry was, you know, wide open coming off a slant from, from the outside wide receiver position. And because they had run the tight end on kind of like a, a corner route coming out of the, the slot, there was or there was literally this wide open space in the middle of the field and nobody was occupying it because either somebody was out of position, whether that's Elliott or Bowser, um, but either way, it was just it was just not executed properly. And I think in that instance, it's probably Elliott who should have buzzed underneath and taken away that throw um, because it looked like Bowser was dropping into the middle zone. So it's it's hard to say for sure exactly what happened on that play, but I think that was an execution issue for sure. Yeah, well the and it the thing that drove me the craziest about this play was that it's not like these concepts aren't the Browns concept. So if you watch uh, throughout the balance of this game, they ran a lot of those kind of like scissor, it's not like really a scissor, but just kind of like a flat and a and a slant or a slant and an owl up against each other to create that kind of space or at least make the receiver or the defender make a decision. And then underneath, they kind of leave it wide open. But, you know, this is one of the examples where I'm be totally fine with the Ravens going into like a pure cover two, right? Like put your two deep safeties over the top, put all your kind of cornerbacks up in man press coverage here. When 85 comes out into the slot, man him up to keep everybody over the top so they don't beat you deep and make them beat you underneath on fourth and four and hope Yanni Kangakaway gets home before he gets a chance to get that playoff. When Campbell and Judon and Ngakwe are healthy, that's going to be a viable defense. Um, and I, I think it's viable even without all of them being healthy. So I think there's a chance that the Ravens can put this together and you know get a little bit more aggressive in these instances. And I and we'll have to keep an eye on it the next few weeks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in this instance, that's a better uh, man call um, is, is more appropriate for for that down distance. Um, and I and I think uh, you know the as I've watched this play a couple of times now, I think it's pretty clear that uh, Chuck Clark just, or Deshaun Elliott, I, I should say, just uh, busted it. And looking at his reaction after the play, I think he just wasn't in the right position. And I think, and I think if he had been underneath in that, in that shallow zone, um, he would have easily, you know, been able to make a play on that. And that's probably what the Ravens are going for there. But unfortunately it didn't turn out that way. Obviously the Ravens still got the win, but I think if you get off the field on that, if you, if you stop them on fourth down, you're up two touchdowns, you get the ball back. Um, you know, McSorley might still be coming in there and they might've gone three and out, but regardless, I think that, you know, you're in a much better position there. Um, so I think that's um, one of those instances where you would, you would like to definitely have a better outcome. Yeah. And it's a good moment to pivot to the offense here because this was, I mean, we were, let's see, how many plays is this after, this is one, like, I don't know, 10 plays after the Bowser interception, right? The, and then touchdown. Um, 
it feels like the game is in hand and over. And then it flips over, it turns over, and then McSorley gets the ball, Brown makes the drop, and all of a sudden the momentum is completely going in the opposite direction. It, it felt like in that moment. Um, you know, and th- that was that drive or that moment or Marquise Brown would be the one thing I would point to on the Ravens offense that wasn't working this game. I mean, it, it felt like for the most part, everything else seemed to be pretty well synced up and working pretty well. Um, you know, what did you see on the offense that you didn't love this week? So I think there are still some issues with the offensive line. Um, and we, I mean, we can, we can call it as we see it. Tyree Phillips had a horrendous game. He started the game at right tackle. Um, I think there was a stretch of plays where he either allowed sacks or was a party to a sack in like three straight plays. And after that, we didn't see Tyree Phillips anymore. Um, which I think is appropriate. Um, he had w- probably one of the worst performances you'll ever see out of out of an offensive tackle. I think you know there have been there have probably been some of the worst ones, but in the number of snaps he was out there and then and the number of pressures and sacks that he allowed, um, it's pretty clear that he's just not cut out for that role at least at this point in his career. You know he's a rookie. We'll give him a give him a slight pass because of that. Um, and he's you know going against pretty good competition in in the in the Browns. Um, defensive ends there with with uh vernon and, and and garrett but that's still you know the the biggest issue i think the ravens have on offense is still going to be their offensive line um i mean you, and you mentioned the pass catching too I, I think marquise brown is is generally not going to have games where he drops four balls um but i think for the most part the offensive line is is what caused some of the issues early on and and a lot of times the ravens were able to overcome it because lamar jackson is that good but um that that's going to be something that they need to shore up and i think it was that's fluker starting at right tackle so be it um it, it's even as problematic as fluker can be at times he's he's better than what phillips has shown yeah and there are ways to make up for whoever or whatever isn't working and the ravens need to find that balance of what that might be too you know get get a chip over there get help over there find ways to like you know tyree phillips was not only not having a good game, but he was still being left on an island during that part. And <laughs> I, I don't get it. The, the, you know, this isn't about Greg Roman and my dislike of kind of what Greg Roman does sometimes, but it just seems like in there are moments where the Ravens have decided that they are going to let a pass rusher beat them on one side of the field because they're just, they're just, Gosh darn it, they're not going to change what they had already planned before they came in. And even though there's this thing that's being exploited and there's a free rusher that's going to happen right in the face of the play, they're still going to run this play-action bootleg snap right into that play. Or they're still going to leave Tyree Phillips out there, even though Olivier Vernon beat him three plays in a row, right? Like, I don't get that. But And, and you got to help your worst players. Um, but it is what it is. I thought, I thought he didn't play great, but I thought – Macari played particularly well and Bozeman and Brown. Um, and I thought Powers played above average. So I thought on the offensive line, they, they got a pretty good performance, but I think Macari has really settled in at center. I don't think he's going to give that spot back up. I think it's worth asking the question of whether Skura will be healthy or better next year, but Macari has earned a starting spot somewhere. And hopefully, you know, if we're talking about next season, even though that's getting ahead of ourselves, if Skura is healthy enough to play center again next year and back to form that he was last year, then maybe Macari can play that right tackle spot. He's just, he's proven to just be a really, really nice football player. Yeah, I really like Macari. I, I think he, if I had my 
way, I think he would be the Ravens' starting center next year. Um, I think he's definitely shown more than Segura has. I mean, even dating back to last year, I think Makari played really well when he when he came in and filled in for Segura. I think he's, I think he's maybe better than Segura at, at playing center. And and I'm not sure if that's, you know, part part of that is more consistency with the snaps. You know, there's been no snapping issues since Makari's taken over. Um, I also think that you know he just he's a little bit more mobility than than Skura. He's a little more agile, a little more athletic, and I think that's something that is important for the for the Ravens' offensive line. Um, I, I don't know what they'll do with Skura. I mean, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, so it's hard to imagine that he will be, you know, given a significant contract by anybody. So maybe they bring him back as kind of you know a reserve offensive lineman, or maybe you know, someone who can compete for the starting position, but I, I, I just don't think he's as good. Um, you know, I do want to say that he was the Ravens' sixth offensive lineman in this game, Mascara, and I thought he did a good job in that role um, as kind of that extra jumbo package lineman who was able to just, you know, be out there um, as a, you know, tight end for, what for I guess, for your, the alignment purpose. But he, I thought he played well. He played well as, a, as that extra blocker. And I, th- I think the Ravens were actually really effective running out of those um, sets. And I think, you know, having that extra large man out there on the field is is good for the Ravens to show at certain times. And, and you can use that and, you know, maybe take some shot plays off that too and take some looks downfield on like two or three man route combos um, and, and try to, you know, get an explosive play out of that too, because they're able to run pretty effectively out of it. Even when they had McSorley in at quarterback, they were able to run out of, out of that jumbo package with effect with effectiveness. Yeah. And, you know, I think that another thing that I'd say was not going well is the Ravens wasting a roster spot on Mark Ingram. Um, I don't think he had a formal carry. I think he only had a couple snaps. If, if only the very first snap of the game, maybe, or whatever that was. And it's like, you, you know, I, I love Mark Ingram. But if you're not going to use him, you got to not activate him. Um, and if that's going to be a problem, then you you got to figure that out, or you got to work him back in and actually play him, or you got to take Justice Hill out of the active roster. You you can't be short cornerbacks when you know Jimmy Smith has been banged up all year. You know you you basically only have one extra quarterback at that point, and as soon as Smith went down, then you were really in trouble. So you know it felt like that. It, it felt like uh, Rashawn Melvin all over again. Um, a little bit at times when the Cleveland was just kind of consistently going after him. And so I think the Ravens have got to figure out what they want to do um, in terms of roster spots there. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. And I, I really feel for Mark Ingram because he was such an important part of the Ravens offensive performance last year. He was an integral part of, of how good they were at running that, that zone read. Um, and he was extremely effective. You know, I hit a thousand yard season um, on a pretty I don't want to say limited snap count, but he he was he did play a, a kind of a limited number of, of snaps in the Ravens offense, and he still had a really good season. And for him to you know come back a year later and just not have any role in the offense at all, it, it's tough to kind of swallow. Um, and it, it's tough for someone who's a veteran who who obviously wants to to be involved and to be a part of a winning team, um, and face the reality that you just are not a good piece to this offense anymore it's just if you just look at his carries he's just not very good um and the things that that edwards and and dobbins can do in this offense is just significantly more than what ingram is capable of and i don't know if it's a physical thing or if it's a mental thing or if it's a combination of both but 
I, I agree. He's basically a wasted roster spot at this point. And like you said, I, I think the Ravens took a calculated risk because the Browns don't use many wide receivers. They play a lot of 12, and I don't think they needed, you know, five active corners in this game. But when you have two corners to go down, then you do need an extra one. And they unfortunately, you know, took that calculated risk and it, and it bit them to a certain extent. Um, but I, it's just hard for me to to justify, you know, having him out there just to kind of take his his whatever two or three snaps, um, get, maybe you know have him pick up like ten yards on the ground. Like, what what's the point of having him out there when when you have a better option in Dobbins and a better option in Edwards? Yeah, well, let's talk about what did go well, and let's start with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And I mean, do- look. Let's start with Gus Edwards. J.K. Dobbins has looked, and, I, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about Gus Edwards, but I'm gonna preface it with J.K. Dobbins. He's looked great and at times dynamically electric, but it seems as though the Ravens and the league and anybody that I talk to doesn't love Gus Edwards nearly as much as I do. And all this guy does is freaking perform. All this guy does is make a read when Lamar hands him the ball and run Lamar's run into the end zone for a touchdown. Like he, he literally went from his, like his play design to seeing it, taking the ball, running Lamar's play design and getting into the end zone. That's how good this guy is. And he's not getting the credit. I mean, he's still a guy that you're probably going to tell me might not have a role on this team next year because, because of JK Dobbins, you know, and this is a guy that the Ravens, I, I mean, the, the touches to me are inverted here. Like Gus Edwards needs those touches that Dobbins had. He had a couple nice runs, but like, and, and I like J.K. Dobbins, and I think he's got he's very good, and I think he'll have a big role. But all Gus Edwards does is run for over five yards of carry, not get tackled in the backfield, get in the end zone, and just be an incredible running back. And I just want to take that two minute segment as my homage to him. <laughs> yeah, if you look at Dobbins and Edwards' stats, they're actually remarkably the same over the course of this of the season. You know, they both have about 100 carries they both have about 500 yards and they both have five touchdowns um sorry edwards has six touchdowns but they've they've basically played the exact same role except for the fact that dobbins has been the guy who's out there when they play 11 personnel for the most part um edwards has been out there a little bit as well i think he even caught a couple passes this year um but dobbins has been a little bit more involved in the passing game um and i think he's a little bit more you know shifty in terms of like his ability to make players miss in the open field but you know, Edwards is, I think, better than given credit for in terms of his ability to make players miss in the open field as well. He's a little more explosive than what he was when he was a rookie. He's definitely shown that um, he's gotten faster um, and I think, like I said, more explosive. And that's something that is, you know, a nice like one-two punch that the Ravens have with him and Dobbins. I think the Ravens should bring him back next year they will have him as an restricted free agent i believe so they'll be able to give him that um tender and then you have him and dobbins um and justice hill as that as that third option with probably mark ingram being left off the roster um so i think that's where they'll be for one more year and you know i think it's something that ravens fans should look forward to seeing yeah, you know, I, I like both of them a lot. And I just wanted to give Gus Edwards a moment because I think I thought that run was was really impressive. And, I, and I'm hoping to kind of see him get more opportunities and get more chances with this, within this team. But the running game was working because of the offensive line. Powers and Makari really seem to have 
somewhat stabilize the interior, but these counter, the counter looks that we were talking about earlier. I mean, I don't think we need to, to rehash it, but if you, it, there are a handful of plays, the, the big Lamar running play that wasn't a touchdown, but it was like a 45 yard run or whatever that was. Um, that was on one of those kind of counter bash inverted veer, whatever you want to call it. And I, I just love this concept where the Ravens are, horizontally stretching the field but doing it from both directions and doing it in the run game and still being willing to attack teams up the middle and maybe this is just the lesson learned from you know what before this week Lamar had three touchdowns on that were rushing touchdowns that were up the middle that were like 30 plus yard touchdown runs and so maybe it's just this like maybe that like that's the thing like that's where the reads are now like they are going to have edge guys kind of crashing on both sides on every play and the read is going to be overcommitting to the outside. So there's no read to make if there's nobody in the middle because everybody has split in both opposite directions. And so maybe the Ravens have figured that out, and that's the thing they're going to take advantage of. Or when teams stop doing that, the Ravens need to recognize it and be able to get back to the outside. Yeah, I, I think that's just the thing that Greg Roman needs to be aware of, and he needs to see what defenses are trying to do. And I think they have the options both in the personnel and in, and the, and in the, you know, play calling packages that they can take advantage of what the other team is trying to take away and you know, attack them where they are, you know, exposing themselves. And that's something that we've seen the Ravens do at times. And I think we've seen them, you know, stick to what's working at times. And, we, you know, we mentioned that earlier on in the podcast and this game was a great example of that because, you know, they had this play and the, and the Browns weren't able to stop it and they just kept running it. Um, and I think that's the thing that we've, we've seen, when this team's at its best, that's what it's doing. It's going to keep, you know, forcing you to to try to stop the thing that you can't do. And if you start to, you know, overload or overcompensate for it, then you have to go to somewhere else. And that's, you know, when we've seen some of the play action work. Well, I think that's something we saw against Dallas. When when the, when the Dallas started to try and take away the run, they hit him over the top with a few play action plays, and, and it worked really well. And, you know, they, they didn't use play action as much in this game. They didn't pass very much in this game. Um, they did use play action a few times, and it was effective. I think that's something that the Ravens will continue to have to go to against some better defenses because um, you can't always just run the ball for 300 yards. Um, and I think um, when you have that threat, though, you open up that play action play, and that's what's really going to have to be the Ravens' bread and butter is is you know having that threat of the run game forcing defenses to respect it. And then you have really wide open throws that are going to be able to pick up chunk plays. I totally agree with everything you just said. And I would add to it that you can also invert that, right? So play action is great because it looks like it's a run and then it is a pass, but you know, it doesn't always need to be a delayed draw to get the same effect effect on the run game. And so I want to talk about Lamar's second rushing touchdown. Um, I believe the first rushing touchdown was also off of one of those inverted beer looks. Um, so obviously that was working, but the second rushing touchdown, what I loved about it was it's a five, I think it was a five-step drop by Lamar and he drops back. He gets to the top of his drop. He makes his read. It's not there. He climbs back up the pocket, doesn't see anything and immediately breaks the pocket and runs. And that's what kind of gave him the lane and the things to do that. To me, that's the thing that's going to keep offensive coordinators up at night. If Lamar Jackson stops doing this thing where he climbs the pocket and then tries to be Patrick Mahomes and run backwards, and we saw him take a 30-yard sack this week because of that BS, that's stupid when he does it too. He just he just has an insane arm talent and insane receiver, receivers to bail him out. At times, it's just chucking it up to Tyreek Hill when you, get, when you get in a bad spot and he's going to make a catch, right? 
But if you can get to the top of that, even seven step drop, right? Like five or seven step drop, you pump or you look and you see what's there and then you take off because the pocket is going to break down around you regardless. It doesn't matter how good your offensive line is. At that point, you can do things, get out of the play and then start moving around. The Ravens run, and I don't love this concept, but the Ravens run a lot of kind of like up the field and then just kind of like stop or curl or whatever you want to call it routes, right? And they kind of place them a little bit everywhere. I think I think conceptually it hurts them. The time that it becomes a strength is when Lamar breaks that pocket. And so they need to encourage him more. It's like, look, schematically, we're going to run the short routes into combinations. Somebody's either going to be open and you hit it or you don't. You flush or you break the pocket at that point, right? And then then all bets are off. So when did we see that work effectively? On the Mark Andrews pass. Because Lamar breaks the pocket and then like Andrews, who had stopped to hit spot, then leaks up the field and it's an easy throw for Lamar. When else did we see that? On the, the touchdown to Hollywood Brown. Lamar breaks the pocket, rolls to the right, everything flows to him. Brown, I think, was probably supposed to stop right around that spot, sees that he's got open field, and he just runs, right? And he's looking back at Lamar in that instance because they know that he's looking down the field to throw to him, and it's an easy touchdown pass. So the Ravens have to do things to either then force teams to blitz more, allow their receivers to get more into one-on-one coverages, or keep deep coverage over the top to not let those guys leak out once they are up there. And when then that happens, then Lamar can run the ball. I mean, that's when you get this unstoppable offense all over again. Yeah, the interesting thing that teams have done more this year than what I was expecting is they're actually playing a lot more man coverage against the Ravens. And for a lot of the season, Lamar wasn't making them pay for it. And I I think it it was because partially he wasn't being decisive in what he wanted to do. Because there were times where he had running lanes and he instead of taking them, he kind of waited to try and see if he could get somebody to come open. And then he didn't either he maybe he was able to fit in there and get a play but sometimes i feel like he left a lot of opportunities out there and he as the season has progressed and you know maybe it's because they've, the team has gotten a little more desperate honestly he's decided to take things into his, his own hands a little bit more often and when he sees that opportunity he is decisively taking it and he is you know picking up chunk yard and that's what we saw a lot last year with the scrambles and i think it's something that he's starting to do a lot better we've seen it two weeks in a row now where he has been a weapon as a scrambler and it's you know something i think is going to have to be part of the raven's plan of success because that is one of the things that makes him a unique player it's his ability to to you know not only be that person who can make the a player miss and pick up yards with his feet like you said but he can also extend plays and if the, if the defense is going to suck in on him then he can take those shots over top and, and and get big plays. And we saw that happen on two huge plays during this game. That, that third down conversion you mentioned to Andrews, that was an incredibly important play at the end of the half for the Ravens to continue that drive and get seven points to you know go up that extra score. Um, I thought that going into halftime might end up being the play of the game. It turns out they had a, a bigger one down the stretch, but that was a huge play. And I think that was entirely on Lamar being able to extend the play. And, in some instances, he can make that play with his legs. In some instances, he's going to make it with his arm. But it's up to him to really figure out what the right guy is or what the right move is. And, I mean, it's partially going to depend on who, who opens up down the field as well. So as long as he's in sync with his receivers and they know how to get open for him and he knows if it's something that he can pick up with his feet and or not, then I think that's where that evolution is going to have to happen. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And the only nuance that I would say is that that needs to be coached into him 
right? Like that's the reason you have coaches, right? Like it's, we're, we're not playing Madden. It's not a prescribed playbook. It's not any of that. It's like, we're going to run these offensive plays. It, these are the hitters, right? Th this is the way that you do it. This is the way that we're co coaching the offensive line to block for you, right? Like we're trying to get them to go up the field when they block, when they are blocking. So if they aren't, it's contained, right? Like, like there are things, I, I mean, and this is what makes it hard to quarterback because there are 90 things that you have to process in an instance, but you coach these things into, into quarterbacks, both, both elite and non-elite, right? Like it doesn't matter. Like Joe Flacco needs the same level of coaching as Peyton Manning around this kind of stuff. Peyton Manning didn't do it by himself. Um, offensive coordinators matter. Game plans matter. Preparation matters. That's why kind of the Ravens can continue to be effective. And Greg Roman needs to continue to build plays that allow Lamar to make those decisive reads. And if he's able to do that for the rest of this year, he very may well save his job. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point because I think we've been critical of Greg Roman um, a lot during the season. And I think a lot of it has been um, rightfully so. I think he's, he's kind of not been as creative as we like to see. Um, I think he's been too creative at times um, and he hasn't quite had his, his, finger on you know the right time to do certain things i still have quibbles with him in terms of you know the way he designed some of the routes where he has you know three guys running in the same area we've seen that happen way too often he doesn't always have guys running past the sticks on third down those things are infuriating but on the other side of the coin i think there is a few really nice plays that he's he's put in there and i think he's been able to like we said earlier, figure out what the team is doing well and just lean on those plays. And I think that's, it's something that is going to, you know, help, help the Ravens finish strong this season. Yeah. And look, you know what, if you can coach a team up right and you can call the right plays that you have coached up before the game starts, then I'm sure that the Ravens were stopping short of the sticks on third down last year too. And I didn't notice, you know, why I didn't notice because it didn't matter. Um, and so, you know, and I'm sure guys run more sh routes short of the third down sticks than we notice in the NFL for or for Patrick Mahomes. So these things are all coverable, but we need to see Roman adjust. I think we're seeing that happen right now. We need to continue to see more of that. We've got three weeks of relatively easy teams. The Ravens should be getting healthy. They shouldn't be kind of choking any of these away. I mean, if they went out there, I think the ESPN FBI ran, they ran like 10,000 simulations and of the simulations the Ravens won out, only seven of them resulted in them not making the playoffs. So it's not a win and get in kind of thing, but we'll know sooner rather than later if that's on the table or not. Yeah. I mean, they're not at, they don't have their own destiny in their hands, but it's, it's very unlikely that the teams ahead of them are going to win out. So it, it basically it would have to be the Dolphins winning out, um, the Colts winning out, and the Browns winning out. Um, those are the situations which would keep the the Ravens out. But, you know, the Colts and the and the Browns both play the Steelers. Um, it's hard to imagine Steelers losing both those games. They might. I mean, they, they're kind of in a tailspin right now, so that might happen. Um, also, that would mean that the Dolphins have to beat the Patriots, I think, in New England – um the bills in buffalo and beat the raiders um it's, think, it's home against the patriots and, and um, in las vegas and in Baltimore, in buffalo so you know there's that's no a way they're winning out there's no way i i can't see that happening so that's i mean that's why those playoff odds are what they are um and and 
the Ravens only I think game that they could lose would be the, the Giants but I I, I don't know I, th- I think that the Giants are kind of not that very good so it, it's hard to imagine the Ravens not making the playoffs at this point anything can happen obviously if, if Lamar Jackson gets hurt then that kind of completely changes things um I'm, <laughs> real quick um Trace McSorley you know, props for coming in and picking up a, a clutch third down. I just want to say that that was maybe a, another really important play. Just that Willie Snead coming down with that that third down pass um, that might have saved the game and the season for the Ravens, honestly, because they were in a pretty bad position at that point. Um, and that was able to extend the drive. They were able to, you know, run the ball a few times, pick another first down. And that got them to the position where Lamar Jackson was able to come in and make the, the touchdown pass. So, McSorley should get a few props. He looks like he's out for the end of the for the rest of the season, and and the Ravens will have um, Huntley. Is that his name? Um, as as their as their quarterback now, backing up Lamar Jackson. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that we're going to have to keep our eyes on moving forward. Yeah, and the other thing I'd add about that last Cleveland game is that if the Colts beat the Steelers the week before, um, I don't know what the tiebreakers look like, but I think at that point the Colts could be playing the Browns or the Steelers could be playing the Browns for the divisional title as well. So you're going to get a tough game there regardless. And and that will be by virtue of the fact of the Colts beating the Steelers the week before. So I, I think it's super unlikely that you see all three teams went out. I think it's possible that none of those three teams went out. Um, and, and I don't think I, 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 I mean, Miami played better against Kansas city than it seemed like they would, but I think Kansas city's offense is, defense is trash. Um, and that's been a problem for them. They've been in these close games, but I think it's going to be a problem for them. But I don't think the Dolphins are good enough to win out either. So, you know, just keep winning, baby. Let's get to the playoffs. Let's knock somebody out and, and be that underdog again. The pressure will be, I think, especially if the Ravens make the playoffs this year now, this is Lamar's chance to not have that pressure heading into a playoff game in the same way because it'll be on the team that the Ravens are facing. It'll be the Ravens that have all the momentum up to this point, ideally be healthy post-COVID, et cetera. And, and that's the moment where we'll find out we'll find out what they're really made of. Yeah, I think, you know, this this team is built to win at the, at the end of the season. You know, they, they can run the ball. You have a playmaker who can make plays happen when you need them. And they have on paper, which should be a good defense. So I, I agree. I mean, I think there there's potential there, especially with the way this postseason is going to be. There's no such thing as a home field advantage. Um, the only advantage is, is having that first bye week, and obviously the Ravens aren't going to have that. So, you know, they're going to be in a position to, you know, just win, get in, and then, you know, every single week is, is a new matchup. And, and and honestly, the NFL is, is all about matchups, and if you get the right ones, you, you can maybe, you know, get all the way there to the end. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll keep seeing more of this all that we're seeing these weeks. We'll see the defense get healthier and more aggressive. We'll see Judon and Ngakwe play better together. We'll see the secondary get cleaner and and tighten up their game as well. So um, we got a lot to look forward to. You guys can check us out on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at BSL Jordan Co. Um, We'd love to hear from you guys and uh, we'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.